Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 239, and it's proudly brought to you by the ever-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you're listening and interested in supporting the show, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing pretty well. It's uh, a little earlier than we normally record, so I might uh, I might yeah. sound a little sleepier than usual, but um, doing fine. I'm getting ready to, to drive off after after we're done recording here down to Milwaukee to do a little diving. Uh, uh, probably tomorrow is the best weather day, but uh, other than that, yeah, just just enjoying some, some green grass and the gardens coming up and getting some tomato plants in the ground and, you know, it's starting to feel like summer here. Yeah, back back from your trip and already digging into the kind of the, one of the best parts of the year as far as weather in this part of the world. Yeah, and the season's so short. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, and yeah. the last couple of days here have been that sort of those sort of days that you get just before a thunderstorm. Oh yeah, warm with the breeze. Uh, yeah. I mean, yesterday yeah. was incredible. I felt like I was solar powered. Um, it was it was just <laughs> nice and yeah. Man, I got to tell you, I haven't, you know, I've, you've got a few things to chit chat here on the notes. I got nothing. I've been working uh, <laughs> and uh, family's been ill and, I, you know, I, I put in the notes like it uh, It felt like an achievement just to find the time to go get the oil change in the Jeep. So I have very little to report as far as like uh, stuff to do. I, you know, I'm. it's Tuesday when we're recording this, like Jason said, a little bit earlier, goes up Thursday and then um, this coming weekend is Canada's May long weekend. Oh yeah, nice. Uh, so probably, I would think, Saturday morning, we'll we'll head up and do the first like proper weekend at the cottage, mm-hmm. uh, which should be fun. I'd be tempted to go Friday, but I'm in New York Thursday night for a release from a brand, which we'll talk about on next week's episode uh, yeah. due to the timing it being Thursday night. I'm in New York for like 20 hours, maybe yeah. uh, maybe 22 hours, something like that, and then I get home and I guarantee that that Friday before May long weekend will be like the toughest longest drive into cottage country that exists like oh, you, you, yeah. it's the one where you're considering like i should have taken a helicopter or stayed home yeah yeah so i think probably the move would be like dawn saturday morning <laughs> right right um which i really is a nicer way to get up there it's a little cooler the air's a little mm-hmm. sweeter there's fewer people on the road and that sort of thing so that's kind of the kind of the vibe we're at but looking looking forward to that in a really big way that's kind of my my power for the week is knowing that should be able to get up to the cottage and see some family and I think a, a handful of my siblings will be up there as well so it should be a nice weekend but uh, you've got some diving planned but you've also been up to a few other kind of fun things what's what have you been doing since you got back yeah well as promised uh, I don't know a while back I, I mentioned I this might have been the year I would take the the roof off of the the old Land oh, Rover, right. the series three and finally did that uh, last week um, which you know it's a, it's a bit more involved than than I remember like with a Jeep or, or some more modern vehicles. I mean, this is sure. a 50 year old truck now. And, and, but the, the, the roof is, uh, kind of comes apart in pieces. You kind of take off the top sheet and then, and then the side panels, you can take it off all together, of course, but it was too heavy for me to handle on my own. And so I did it in pieces and it's just a lot of, uh, undoing a lot of nuts and bolts and keeping them all straight in a baggie. And then I kind of lifted it off in sections and, and man, you know, I should have done this years ago and it even fits in the garage now which is which is huge it's never been inside a garage and i I laid the windscreen flat uh which is which is fun um for a while until you go over about 15 miles an hour and then that's just way too much wind in the face but uh need some goggles and such uh, yeah yeah um so that's been fun i mean the, the truck just feels ironically it's actually a lot quieter you don't get this sort of 
you know garden shed echo that you get when the that hard top is on and yeah um just feels more nimble it's it's you know, the visibility is tremendous like it's a super short vehicle i mean it's just an 88 inch uh, wheelbase and so like you look over your shoulder and there's the back of it you know so it's uh it's 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 a blast it's uh it's awesome it's a, lot of, a lot of fun um but then the other land rover i i jumped in Gosh, the, the day after we got back from Scotland, feeling all defendery, you know, after our trip around Scotland in one, mm-hmm. and found that the the turn signal wasn't um, working. So I replaced a bulb that didn't fix it. Then I replaced the actual lamp assembly. I had a spare one um, and wired that up. And then whatever I did, hosed the, uh, the both the brake lights and the and all the indicators, all the turn signals, and so. I spent much of last weekend fiddling and troubleshooting and re-soldering and wiring and checking fuses and, you know, got advice from a number of people. And I just, you know, electrical stuff is it's tough. a bit of a black art. And I, I, at some point I just threw up my hands and I've, I've turned it over to the, the local shop here, Bishop and Rook, where I bought it. And they're, they've done well with that, uh, with that vehicle in the past. So I'm hoping they can, they can sort it out for me. So Nice. Down to one Land Rover. <laughs> well, at least it's the currently the one that suits the season in a, in a exactly. nice sort of way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's great, man. Exactly. Yeah. The electrical thing can be a real pain. You know, obviously people who listen to every episode know I went through a whole thing with tiny, what seemed like a fairly small alternator issue on the Jeep a while back that would just kill the brand new battery. Yeah, right. And it just took so much time and effort to, to hunt down what I believed it to be. And then, of course... At a certain point, you have to take the alternator off and like test diodes and that sort of thing, and, and you're like, man, mechanics really do a, a, an important service. Yeah, uh, if you're busy in life, uh, because yeah. that took a huge amount of my time. And, and honestly, in, in, if I look back on it, aside from the learning experience and the fact that I like working on vehicles, not mm-hmm. not a wise use of my time. I should have <laughs> should have dropped that thing off and been working right. Yeah. And for right. all I know, let's be let's be honest. I added some lights to the Jeep, which have since been removed. They just weren't as useful as I thought they would be. Yeah. But for all I know, I did that wiring wrong, and that's what was, <laughs> you know, maybe damaged a diode in the alternator, or or was causing some sort of other scenario while it was running. Yeah. I'm not in such a position to say like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my household wiring skills are pretty solid. Yeah, uh, from working on the cottage and stuff like that, but you know, it's a whole different world when you get into the um, into the cars. And then is the this is a dumb question, but it would be twelve volt, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not old enough to be. Uh, I guess the series might be a six volt system. No, that's twelve volt as well. Oh, okay, um, cool. All right. And and the older ones had dynamos; they didn't have alternators. This one, fortunately, right. the series is modern enough to pretty modern alternator yeah. and standard battery and all that and i've never had electrical well i shouldn't say never i've never had serious electrical issues with that one which everybody's always surprised about but uh there's just so little on it to 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 go wrong and clearly whatever i did to the defender i i just added to the to the problem so um hopefully they can (laughs) they can unravel it i mean you know the thing about you talk about car mechanics and uh or technicians i suppose is more accurate term nowadays um there's so much to know on a on a vehicle um everything from you know electrical to plumbing to you know, physics and, and fluids and, and all of that. And, and, you know, for an amateur rank amateur like me, it's, uh, you know, I'm always just sort of getting by with, with some of the simpler tasks, but I'm definitely more comfortable with a wrench in my hand than, than a soldering gun. Multimeter. Or, you know, yeah. Multimeter. Yeah. So 
you know, I'm, I always end up on the same four or five, like it's a YouTube video. I'd be like, you watched this four months ago. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I know here. I did. Yeah. I know I watched it. I, yeah. I don't remember how to use my multimeter right. for this specific task. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cross loads and things like that. Hilarious. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's always fun. But you do quickly realize like there's a difference, like you said, between fellows like you and I who bought vehicles and then have endeavored to like kind of figure out when things kind of go wrong aren't actually broken but are partially Mm -hmm. and then yeah like a technician or a mechanic where you can you walk in and the guys that i take the jeep to i've taken them to you know a couple times they know that i know enough they'll ask like two or three questions and then they'll be like all right we're good we'll take care of the rest yeah i'll catch you guys later it's good yeah they don't want to hear all the 30 things i tried that didn't work (laughs) right i figure this is what it's like to be a doctor as well you just spend a lot of your time like waiting for the person to stop talking about stuff that doesn't (laughs) matter or has no no medical basis at all yeah yeah and uh and then you just all right well we're going to take some blood and we'll we'll move on so <laughs> but yeah, that's always fun. I, I hope they're able to sort it out nice and quickly for you. But it sounds like the other ones uh, certainly scratching a fun kind of summary itch at this point. Yeah, entirely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, how about some risk check? What have you got on today? Well, as I am headed off on a little dive excursion, uh, I'm wearing uh, my biggest, baddest dive watch. I've got the the fifty fathoms on the titanium automatic. Oh, nice. um, when I was in Polynesia, they uh, graciously gave me uh, a long. 23 millimeter NATO, um, that was kind of made for this watch. Apparently, um, they had seen me ice diving in this with, with my own NATO on it. That was just barely long enough. And so, um, they gave me one of their super long NATOs, which I'll tuck into my dive bag and strap on before I put my dry suit or before, after I put my dry suit on. So that's great. That's, uh, that's what I'm wearing. Get it, uh, get it deep and cold, uh, tomorrow. Very nice. Yeah. I hope the dives are great. Uh, yeah. For me this week, I've got on my Halios Universa. It's kind of the you know a bit of a return to a summer vibe. I've got the kind of the first series pastel blue Universa on the bracelet. I think it's like a, a really great sort of summer watch. It's got micro like toolless push button micro adjust in the clasp, which is really nice and, and works yeah. really well. And I, I just needed uh, it. It was like a in some ways an opposite, still a sports watch, but like an opposite to the Pelagos, which I've been wearing a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, what, what can you say about a Halios there? They remain very difficult to buy. You kind of have to get in line and do the thing, but I really love these watches. I, I believe they're still working on the universal line in general. I think it's the Navy blue one and the gray, hmm. but for me, it's the, this pastel and the smaller case size and the no bezel kind of, kind of has a vibe all its own. Yeah. It makes me want to get the Seaforth out. I mean, it, it, the pastel or, or orange dial watches or yellow or whatever, it's like, it's starting to finally feel like that yeah. that time of year when I want a little more color and more of a casual vibe with uh, with my watches. So yeah, good choice. Yeah, it's a fun one, and it is that nice time of year. You know, this is when I'll I'll lean back into stuff like the Sea Rambler and yeah, this Universa and that sort of thing. It's always nice to have a kind of a bright dial, maybe even a bright strap. I don't know. <laughs> I, that, 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 that's a bridge maybe, too far for not. you. We'll I see. Think. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have an yeah. orange NATO. I've never warmed up to orange NATO. <laughs> I own yeah, one. I don't know. It can be a lot. It can be a yeah. lot. And for some reason, like, you know, I wore the Apple Watch Ultra a ton lately on the, the orange oh, yeah. loop strap, the Alpine loop. It didn't bother me that much. Maybe it's because the orange is like a little mm-hmm. bit less bright. It's still quite mm-hmm. a bright strap. But yeah, for whatever reason, even on the Sea Rambler with the orange hand and the other accents and that, I, 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 I can't, I have yet to really warm up to like a bright yeah. orange uh, NATO as much as like yeah. a, a gray or, or something like that. So, you know what I've, I've been wearing a lot. Um, over the past year, I'd say is I've got, uh, 
a couple of ribbed NATOs from um, what used to be called cheapest NATO straps. Uh, now it's CNS, CNS watch bands um, out, of, out of Sweden. Okay. Um, and and I've got uh, one of their mustard colored ones, which is it's kind of aging well. It's kind of fading out a little bit, and it's. Uh, um, th- I think that one looks good. I mean, I, I would never wear like a full on orange or yellow NATO, but like this kind of mustard is this sort of toned down color that looks pretty good with a bunch of watches. So, uh, but yeah, not, not usually much for a, uh, for bright colored straps. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's no wonder we went with this name for the show <laughs> the versus mustard NATO. Yeah, right. <laughs> some other one, but, uh, yeah. Right. So yeah, I want to dive into, uh, today's main topic, which is kind of an interesting one. We had a good time with the Slack crew and A's previously and uh, I wanted to extend that because occasionally we just get messages from people whether it's in the TGN crew slack or through email or dms like why don't you talk about this brand have you heard of this watch and like usually it's like I don't know that brand or I don't really care about that brand necessarily they don't really strike me in a specific way or I've never heard of the watch yeah um and and I thought it'd be kind of fun just to throw it out to the the, the TGN slack crew like you know what are the watches that you kind of would like us to even just for a few minutes, like dig into, um, but you never hear us talk about them on the show or or otherwise, and and it kind of feels like a hole for you. So we got a ton of responses. Um, I I avoided kind of adding or or notifying the entire thread. It's you know it's yeah. like a thousand people in in an attempt to, for it to not one. I I don't think people necessarily want a notification from me asking for show <laughs> suggestions. Uh, but two, you know, just to keep it loosely under control. So we got the better part of like maybe 50, 50 plus sort of responses. And uh, we went through and, and kind of picked the ones that we thought kind of fit the general topic. Some of the questions were about watches we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and others were like, oh, I would love to hear like a whole show topic, like a deep dive on a certain brand. And like that doesn't quite fit this vibe, but I've saved those ones to, to kind of help out on, on future shows. Yeah kind of the plan here is more kind of like a, a light look at a, at brands or maybe an explanation as to why some some brands kind of hit blind spots for us, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that in mind, uh, let's get to a first one from Jackson who asked, I'd love to hear more about your guys' thoughts on the Christopher Ward the 12 and where it fits into the integrated steel sports watch world. So for those of you who don't follow Christopher Ward, the 12 is a 40 millimeter integrated bracelet steel sports watch. We need to figure out some sort of good acronym for that because it's now like a whole thing. <laughs> uh, like it's an entire category that everybody plays at. So this is the, if you follow down, if you go upstream from this, you get to obviously things like the Chopard Alpine Eagle. And then if you go beyond that, you're back to kind of the OGs of this format, the Nautilus, uh, arguably the Aquanaut, although we could have that argument, but definitely the Nautilus, the Royal Oak, yeah. things like that, right? And with those becoming so insanely popular in the last few years, we've seen a lot of brands, everybody from Bremont to Bell & Ross and now Christopher Ward, digging in with an integrated steel bracelet sports watch. So this, you know, a watch, and, and I, I would call it integrated. The, the idea is like when you can't put a different strap on the watch. Or, or like we had this argument on Hoodinky Radio a while back was like, how, how do you know that it's an integrated versus not? And I said, if you can't put a NATO on it, oh. so like if it doesn't have conventional enough lugs to suit a NATO, yeah. then it's an integrated bracelet. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is an interesting watch. It's a good play by them. So they're charging twelve twenty five for these on the bracelet. Uh, I, to my eyes, it looks like a, a, a very specific homage to like a Chapic Antarctique. <laughs> I thought so too. Uh, yeah. you or know, an Aquaterra between, as well. Or, or yeah, there's definitely some Aquaterra in there. 
with the date at eight at six o'clock and and the sort of minimal markings and that sort of thing. I think these will be very popular for them. I do worry that unlike maybe a dive watch, like steel dive watches, this might be more of a trend than an entire market segment. Mm-hmm. The watches that these reference started in the early to mid seventies, and it took them a very long time to become popular, and then they kind of like skyrocketed in popularity in the last say five to seven years. Yeah. Definitely in the last three years in some cases. And I don't think that somebody with a Royal Oak money or Nautilus money would go, oh, well, I'll buy the 12 from Christopher Ward. Mm-hmm. But the Tissot PRX or similar in this price point, you know, let's call it 500 to $2,000. I think that there is a market for people who want that sort of wrist presence, that bracelet-like comfortable fitting, shouldn't be too thick sort of vibe. And and I think it, within that zone, they've they've kind of put together a nice package. It's a nice looking watch. I think the sizing makes sense. It has a lot of kind of touch points that feel like they're part of the world of the integrated steel sports watch. Between kind of the case elements and the finishing on the bracelet, it's got a automatic Salita movement. How, how does this one hit you, Jason? It's very handsome. Um, immediately when I kind of clicked the link and, and took a look at this, I did think of the Chopic uh, Antarctique yeah. and, and Aquaterra, of course. And I think, you know, it, it raises a bigger question and, and I, one that we've been asked uh, several times. And, you know, why don't you guys cover Christopher Ward more often? And I don't have an exact answer, at least from my perspective, but I, I do think that oftentimes when I see their watches, um, they're not all out homages, but I feel like so many of them are kind of reactionary to a trend. Um, they do have some that, that aren't certainly they've done some nice kind of jumping hour stuff in the past and some interesting things with movements. And, but I feel like a, a lot of their watches tend to kind of be, if not derivative, they feel a little reactionary and not, not wholly original or bold. Um, and I think, you know, ha- having handled a couple over time, they're, they're very, they feel very high quality. Yep. I've, I've never talked or, or heard from anyone that's owned one that has had any issues with them. People really, if they love the brand, they really love the brand. Um, but I can't put my finger on it. Why we don't talk about them more, at least, uh, at least for, for me, what about, what about you? Why don't you, why doesn't it come up more often? Do you think I just, they never really kind of hit my, hit my radar or, or, you know, we didn't overlap in, in spaces aside from just kind of general watch enthusiasm. I would also say that like typically what gets me into a brand is they'll make one watch that I feel is like kind of undeniably for me mm-hmm. and they haven't made that watch in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a mix of kind of some aesthetics and um, and the, the logo and the rest of it. And then the other side of this, and this will come up with some of the other brands that we talk about, is I find that a lot of times, and, and this, is, this is sort of a mix of like a bias and probably some cognitive dissonance, but I, I don't really have a taste for watches where you could remove the brand and just put another brand on the dial and it wouldn't, like it would still work. Right, right. Like there's something about a Bremont that feels like a Bremont. Mm-hmm. There's something about a Seiko dive watch that feels like a Seiko dive watch. You know what I mean? Like if you take the Seiko or Bremont off one of those watches or if you take, in, in many cases, if you take Rolex off the dial of a Rolex, it doesn't even need to be there. Definitely with something like the Pelagos, Tudor doesn't wouldn't need to put their name on this watch. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I think that's that's part of what gets me with some of the the Chris Reward stuff is that it it doesn't have I don't know what their kind of one identity is and maybe mm-hmm. I just I've missed it whatever the the kind of core is for me you know it's for Bremont it's a Supermarine. Yeah, and and Bremont might say that it's an MB. It's just like it's a it's the way that it like hits you. 
mm-hmm. or me in this case. And I think that's that's why the necessarily the brand, you know, like maybe I attached to Halios because of the Canadian and the Vancouver and the rest of it and just missed the Christopher Ward because they were across the pond and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think yeah. they make a solid watch. I think these look good. And, and the, I can't imagine you buy, like if you look at these and you really like the look of the 12 and, and you can get one um, in, in your price point, that sort of thing. Like you can get one and they make them in titanium as well. They These are handsome looking watches. They'll be nicely made. And I can't imagine that you'd be disappointed by the overall experience. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. I think it'll be interesting to see other brands go in this direction. You know, we've seen so many, like almost too many to bother listing at this point. But I think at, at this price point, they've they've got a compelling product. And I think if you were in the market for something on the more entry level range of, say, Tag Heuer, I definitely want to at least take a run over to Chris Rewards website and see what you could find there because you might find something that's more specific. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's how that hits me. But uh, thank you very much for uh, that uh, question, Jackson. Next up, we've got one from Dean who asked the... Uh, and as from the names, I'm just going from the full name that's given in Slack. I hope everybody's comfortable with that. Some of you have last names, some of you don't. But Dean mentioned the A13A Pilot Watch in that it's a killer central seconds chronograph uh, neither Jason or I had heard of this watch. It's a 42 millimeter steel pilot's watch with a quartz movement that is also a chronograph and uses a central seconds and minutes. I actually think it's really cool. It's about 700 ish dollars. Uh, you know, it's, it's sold out of Europe. It has very much like an IWC style case. And then the dial is kind of, uh, yeah, like a Flieger esque. And then it has kind of two chronograph hands, one for minutes, one for seconds I, I didn't even know that this it's an edit based movement i wasn't aware that this movement was kind of still around and and kicking uh it's surprising that we're not seeing it in other watches uh from other brands but yeah uh, I, I thought this thing's pretty cool yeah i'm always impressed by by what people come up with and i you know they're definitely uh, listeners that are you know more active on forums and really kind of dialed into kind of the, the micro brand scene even more than we are. And, and this oh, is, this sure. is a really cool find. Um, and I was looking at a 13 a's website and they've got, they've got kind of a cool automatic as well. I don't know if you saw that one, but it's a flyback, um, with pushers on the left side, not to digress from the one that, uh, that Dean showed us, but, but the automatic's pretty wild too. It's got a, a, a modified Swiss uh, flyback chronograph movement in it. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is just a cool brand. I don't know why it's uh, hasn't really popped up more, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a really cool watch. I love the the center minute chronograph. Um, is obviously a complication that that I've long loved, and and most yeah. people do too. I'd love to see more of these, but the, uh, to see it in a quartz movement, I mean, yeah, it's pretty wild. Super cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Dean, for the heads up on this. Definitely uh, a brand to keep on the sort of radar in the future and looks like a couple of really solid options as far as their pilot watches go. So uh, hit the show notes for that if you want to check out the A-13A pilot watch or the flyback chrono as well. Next up, we've got one from Michael Harris, who said, I've recently become fascinated with the new Tag Heuer Carrera glass box. For me, it might be the best new piece or at least one that interests me the most from this year's Watches and Wonders. Jason, any thoughts on the glass box? We touched on it briefly when we did our kind of show recap. Yeah, I'm with Michael. I'm pretty smitten with this watch. I keep coming back to it. And it's not a watch I would likely own. I just, I like my water resistance. I like, you know, a dive watch uh, when push comes to shove. But, you know, I remember 
way back in, in my early days of the forums and, and just learning about watches, I remember going to like a Macy's and seeing um, a, a Tag Heuer Carrera in, in the jewelry department or whatever and, and trying it on and looking sure. at it. And it was like, they're just, the, the Carrera is such a handsome watch in almost any iteration. And, you know, you just wonder like what, what more can they do to this watch to kind of differentiate it? And this one, they've done enough to it to, to really make it feel like a, like a new watch, but then, you know, it's, it's got all the kind of the classic traits of, of the old Carreras and yeah, I'm, I'm really taken with this. I, I'd like to see one of these in person myself. Yeah, me too. Uh, so Fratello says, uh, 46. So obviously it's 39 millimeters wide in a steel case, uh, 46 millimeters lug to lug and 13 thick, which isn't so bad for a chronograph. Yeah. yeah. That would wear a little bit smaller than an SPB 143 mm-hmm. in almost every dimension. So it should be pretty comfortable on wrist. I think this is probably the most thoughtful and like well-executed product tags had in a while. Yeah. And, and that comes from someone who's not exactly a Tag Heuer fan. Yeah. I had my time with the brand when you could buy a 2110 300-meter Aqua Racer for like $1,000 secondhand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now those some very similar watches by my measure are several multiples more than that. Um, so I, I think that this is more in like, if you're going to spend a certain amount of money, this makes more sense to me. Yeah. And I think they're really pretty. They're the right size. I can't imagine they won't be very successful. I, yeah, it's one I would like, I'd like to see in person. And I saw one like for 30 seconds on someone's wrist at the lucid event we did in Geneva. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's beautiful. You look at it and immediately, this is another one where like, it doesn't have to say tag on the dial. Right. I don't need to be told like immediately it's a Carrera. Yeah. And it's done a nice thing. And I mean, this is high praise. It's done a nice thing where this feels like if they'd never stopped making the early Carreras, they just kept going mm-hmm. and didn't jump around into all the hundreds of variations they've done. This feels like the Daytona sort of Carrera take. Yeah. Yeah. Lasting lineage back all the way to the early stuff. Uh, a good looking watch. I think that we should see more and more iterations of this. I would love to see them take the platform and make a very, very modern chronograph. Like you remember the micrographs from a few years ago? Yeah. Something in that aesthetic, you know, give us titanium, kind of a harder edge, play a little bit into the Grand Seiko space with it, I think would be pretty interesting. But I I think that these are uh, very cool watches and uh, it's really nice to see Tag, I think, kind of thread the needle because they have a tough job due to the breadth of the brand. I think it can be difficult for them to make something very specific. Yeah, and and speak to a certain audience, and I think they're doing that really well with this watch. So, yeah, yeah, good, uh, good question, Michael Harris. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got one from Michael M, um, who wants us to chat a little bit about uh, the Citizen Skyhawk and Nighthawk, um, and just Eco Drive in general. Which you know, we, we we've certainly had no shortage of Citizen content yeah. on TGN, but um, specifically these these two watches, the Skyhawk and the Nighthawk. This is kind of two citizen families that, that I've long kind of liked or admired from a distance. Um, they're, they're very distinctive and, and I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of these on actual pilots wrists and always yeah, just, you know, just people out and about kind of people that aren't specifically watch people, but they, they like a good thing on their wrist and it'll just be there for forever through thick and thin. That's how I always feel about these watches. I think the Skyhawk is one of those watches that it has this like nerd credibility. It's a little bit like in the space of an aerospace, a little bit more complicated. It has the longstanding Blue Angels connection, but it's also a watch that you get it duty free. Yeah, yeah. 
People buy them on cruises. People buy them at airports. That's, I think, probably one of the reasons you see them on pilots is they're useful. They can do a bunch of stuff. They have pilot-specific features. Granted, I'm sure pilots have computers and the rest of it that do it for them. But they're also available. Like These are readily available watches in most retail scenarios, which I yeah. think speaks to their long-standing uh, kind of presence. Yeah, uh, I think the Nighthawk is an incredible watch. We definitely talked about it recently, whether it was on a citizen-specific episode or court-specific episode. But in the last year, we rambled on about uh, the standard Nighthawk and then some of the new versions in the slightly larger cases, the sharper-edged cases. All really good. And then as far as EcoDrive, man, I feel like we've talked about EcoDrive a fair bit. Great technology. Really love quartz to begin with for certain types of watches. And I think EcoDrive makes a lot of sense for zero fuss, for maybe somebody's first sort of enthusiast watch because it's it's just never it's not going to let you down they just right. just a, a good product and we're huge citizen fans uh obviously we we like some of their weirder stuff specifically like the aqualands <laughs> um they're just so charming but you i don't think you go wrong with a skyhawk or a nighthawk it's just a question of do you want the little screens do you want the sort of navitimer aesthetic with all the numbers and the slide rule and the complicated piloty sort of stuff or do you want something a little bit more simplified i mean the the nighthawk moves a little bit closer to something like a flieger aesthetic in some ways uh but nice sizes good watches well made lots of functions and and pretty commonly available like with a, a discounted price uh, both on citizens website or or probably at your local retailer so well, one thing i like about the the skyhawk i'm looking at the the promaster skyhawk at and you know this is it's titanium it's eco drive it has this kind of wild sort of navitimer meets aerospace functionality and appearance um and it's, yeah. it's like 200 meter water resistant you mm-hmm. know on a bracelet in titanium i mean it, it's it, it really would be just kind of a cool one watch for somebody who really isn't into watches and it and it is it does have that nerd appeal because it, kind of as aqualands are for for divers i mean this is like this isn't a watch that you know the average person's just going to throw on because there's just so much going on so you have to kind of mm-hmm. really like to putts and press buttons and and kind of learn about a slide rule and that sort of thing, which uh, which I, I really admire about it. So yeah, my my late grandfather, believe it or not, had a Skyhawk, a black huh. orange one. Oh wow! That he bought on a cruise ship oh, to yeah. I think to Alaska, hmm. and he loved it. Couldn't read any of the features, <laughs> but the hands were big enough. The hour and minute hands were big enough. Yeah, and he liked that it felt kind of toolish and essential. And you know, he had spent a huge portion of his working career in pretty tough places in Africa, uh, you know, doing medical work and that sort of thing. And I think as he got older and, and kind of settled into the later stage of his life, he, I think he appreciated that this, it kind of had this toolish go anywhere, make no excuses, but it also like, he didn't have to worry about winding it or yeah. all the stuff he had dealt with over years of watches of more conventional old school watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're an interesting thing because they they apply to such a wide variety of the market. You could know all the features on the watch and love it, and you could know none of them and still love it. Yeah, yeah, cool stuff. Big yeah. citizen fans. Next up, we've got one from Aaron Shapiro. He says, uh, "It would be cool to hear your thoughts on Inacar Sherpas. I've always wanted one of their GMTs. Uh, I also like the Sherpas and the Sherpa Ops, the Sherpa Jets, all these versions. I remember there was a time maybe, oof, ten years ago." that I was that was my main like eBay fascination. Oh yeah. Was trying to find one of these watches that was in good nick and and that was before they got really expensive. Mm-hmm. Like before a, a slightly wider group of people suddenly kind of tuned in. 
And then now I guess the brand's been relaunched. And, and I'll be honest, uh, due to this question, I went to the brand's website, which is pretty tough, and flipped through their catalog. And it, it doesn't look like they're making anything that's distinctly Inacar in mm-hmm. my mind. I could be missing it. It could be on a, a different website. But if the relaunch brand is making new Sherpas, um, they're not prominent on their website. If, if we're talking about an old one, I think they're great. I would want to know all the stuff you want to know about a vintage watch, who you're buying it from, what the, what's the condition, what you, you should expect when it shows up, can you wear it, all that kind of stuff. But from a design standpoint, I'm a big fan. Yeah. And I think we, we talked about Anikar stuff on very early episodes. Yeah, yeah. I, I could also be saying that wrong. It could be Anikar, you know, my generalized apology as always. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've always said Anikar, but I, I, I just know it's Racine backwards. Uh, I think that was uh, um, the founder's name, I believe. Um um, the, the Sherpa guide is the, the, the world time one that, that I've always loved. And, and there were several iterations of that, um, with kind of different hands and, and bezels and things, but I'm, I'm looking at kind of a rather beat up looking older one that's for sale on a website. And, and it's one of those watches kind of like an old Doxa that, that they look good when they get pretty beat up, you know, the world time, um, names are kind of totally. scuffed and, and wearing off and you get some city cities on the ring that that maybe um you don't see much anymore i i, I remember wanting one of these for many years because it had colombo um the capital of sri lanka on and and you just don't see that on world time uh rings very often but uh, yeah anikar is a cool brand I, I do like a lot of their stuff yeah me too uh we had another request for like a deep dive on anikar and certainly if i could find an expert to to weigh in yeah. Uh, as kind of a third party, that would be a, a fascinating episode because I have some questions. Sounds like you guys do too. So uh, let us keep that on the back burner for now. Uh, next up, we've got one from Rob. He said, uh, we've got to talk about the new Scurfas, the 10 year Diver 1, and the Topside Crew. Uh, so that's kind of wide ranging. I, I would say that, Jason, like in, in some ways, we haven't talked a ton about Scurfa lately because they're so hard to buy. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like they necessarily need more more shout out or more more sort of limelight uh necessarily but the the 10th anniversary stuff are, are, are really good and that definitely when they went on sale it was a whole thing on the slack uh of people trying to hit these i i'm on record and, and jason maybe you're the same maybe not but i'm on record for really preferring the diver ones in titanium and with the fully graduated bezel that's kind of like the sweet spot for me so it's the yeah. ms stuff yeah but if you're going for a slightly elevated take on their sort of standard watch. So in this case, uh, you have um, frame around the date, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. We couldn't be bigger Scurfa fans. We just worry that you know we're part of the cycle that's kind of making <laughs> Paul's life busier than than it, it should. And you know they're they're months out. So uh, if you're keen on a Scurfa, get on get on the site, kind of get get in get in line uh, in effect and that sort of thing, or swing around on the buy sell trade channel on the tgn slack uh one pops up every now and then there and they go really quickly everybody's been super realistic at least in terms of inside the crew uh for pricing and that sort of thing so those are really fun watches couldn't be bigger fans of scurfa yeah yeah and i'm with you on the kind of liking the the ms stuff the titanium um but yeah. uh yeah i mean they're, they're just they're great they're highly legible they're obviously very robust and and made by a just a cool guy who uh who obviously takes it very seriously but uh keeps them priced very affordably so yeah huge fans all right jonathan wants to know our opinion about uh Ressance, the type three and the type five specifically what about you i mean i i, I admire what Ressance does i think they're fascinating watches they're yep. definitely not my aesthetic um 
but very cool pieces. Yeah, I absolutely love them. I think they're super cool, but I wouldn't buy one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the kind of watch that I would buy thinking, you know, like it would work for me or, yeah. you know, based on just how beautiful they are and, and kind of eccentric and different, you know, unique even. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the Type 3 in white. It's absolutely gorgeous, super legible, really fun. But in the end, they're quite expensive by my measure. Mm-hmm. You're getting something very specific for that money from a very specific sort of mindset, um, but not not something that I think I would buy and then proceed to wear enough for it to make sense. Uh, I like the Type 3. The Type 5, I think, is one of the coolest like modern takes on a dive watch that's come out in the last decade. Yeah. It's just like a deeply cool, beautiful, fun piece, but I also don't think I would buy and wear one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think in making something this specific, this specific, this specialized, this sort of again to use the term unique, you're also kind of limiting the thing. And I, I think in many ways, Jason, you and I do kind of prefer traditional watches, yeah, or at least watches that come from traditional footings, and Resins don't. Uh, I think they're very special, very cool watches. I'm not, I'm never surprised when. You meet somebody either from the tech industry or who's like an architect or designer, and this is the watch that they love or that they own. <laughs> right. It always makes sense to me. But in my mind, this is like the logical conclusion of a brawn watch mm. in some ways. Yeah. It's like it's, it's taken to the absolute as far as it could go in terms of beauty and execution and engineering and and like a design philosophy that that decides the way that the time is actually displayed. All of that's super thoughtful, and I think that's what you're paying for is this. It's like aesthetically, I wouldn't call it minimalist, but it's but from a from a certain philosophy of showing the time, it is. No, no hands ever interact or overlap. They can really integrate a bunch of different features into into something, and, and it's a, a singular sort of thing. There aren't other watches that look like like Resonance watches. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan, um, but I would say it's one of those things I'm a big fan, but it wouldn't necessarily be for me. Yep, I agree. Let's uh, let's move on to one from our friend Chris Soul and uh, Michael Harris also chimed in on this one with uh, with a suggestion to talk about a little bit about Longine. You know, we don't talk about Longine a lot, I guess, um, but I love so much of their stuff. Yeah, for me, the brand is very hit or miss. Um, they they either make something that I really love, like the Big Eye Chrono. Yeah, I love that when it came out. I still love that watch. They're super cool when you when you see them. You know, the Legend Diver, mm-hmm. gorgeous, kind of was right at the early stages of the whole neo vintage kind of trend. And then on the other side, they make a lot of stuff that I would say is is sort of more general, mm-hmm. less for the enthusiast. Even there, and I think where where the where the company has kind of had trouble finding a footing is they didn't have a great dive watch offering. Mm-hmm. When steel dive watches suddenly exploded in popularity, they had this incredible vintage dive watch. Yeah, but and I'm I'm sure I'll upset some big fans of the Hydro Conquest. In many ways, I think that when I have those watches in my hand, they don't feel specifically special. Yeah, or like a finished, fully finished design. Mm-hmm. They're nicely made. Uh, I have nothing against them uh, from the quality standpoint, and they made them in a bunch. They made and make them in a bunch of different sizes, which is great. Um, but they never quite hit an aesthetic where I, I had to have one or, or wanted one, despite the fact that I really like the brand and would be happy to wear a Longines uh, on my wrist. I think of them very much like in the vibe of when they're good, they're like a, a Swiss Seiko. Yeah. The value proposition's there. They'll do it in quartz and automatic. They make, they'll do a few different colors. Everything's well executed, but there's something 
there's something about specifically the Hydra Conquest that like never spoke to me. It didn't feel like a design that I, I really liked. Yeah, same here. And of course, that's fine. It's not to say that it's a bad design, just not for me. It's, all of this is hyper subjective. But if you jump into the Spirit Collection, I think they've they found like a new zone that seems to be working really well for them. They're getting mm-hmm. a lot of traction from this collection. I mean, what do you what do you want? Do you want to be get really nitpicky? I think the five stars on the dial have to go. It looks like an <laughs> Uber rating. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I don't get it. It's unnecessary. Mm. Um, aside from the stars on the dial, I really love the way these look. I love the, I think the sizing, the lug to lug is long on a lot of the cases, but when they're on your wrist, I didn't find it to bother me necessarily. Uh, I've, I've had a chance to try a few of these on, but you know, they, they're doing titanium, they're doing chronographs, they're doing two and three register chronographs, 37 millimeter steel, you know, with a date. And, and I think like the pricing is very realistic. I think the, the 42 millimeter, the spirit GMT is awesome. I do wish that they had opted for because it's Longines. So they should be able to use an ETA CO7. And I think that would suddenly make, they would have a Black Bay GMT competitor on their hands and they could do so at a lesser price point, which I think would be remarkable. Yeah. And in my mind, if I was in charge of Longines and, and, especially when it comes to things like the Spirit and the Hydra Conquest, I would just be trying to offer a Longines take on what's working for Tudor. Yeah. And I think in some ways that's what we're getting from the Spirit. There's a little bit of Breitling in there. There's a little bit of Longines in there. Like it's a it's a really nice, attractive watch in a bunch of different colors. Um, obviously big GMT fans. And I would love to see... I, would, I mean, honestly, I would love them to just go ahead and do a full-on spirit diver. Very well may uh, may see one someday at the rate they're going. I mean, there's so many um, different iterations of the, of the spirit. Yeah. I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Over on the dive watch side, yeah, I agree with you about the Hydra Conquest. And they've, they've kind of stubbornly held on to that design for, for so long. And I think um, the, the dive watches that obviously catch my eye are obviously the, the legend diver. But then the what do you think of the Ultracron? Do you like that? I'm 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 a little mixed on that one. Yeah, I mean the Ultracon kind of reminds me of like the Eternicon Tiki, w- w- of which I own, right? Uh, yeah, that sort of that sort of cushion cased, um, with the sh- very short lugs. I think it's a great looking watch. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of their watches are great. In this case, is 43 millimeters, which is like a non-starter at this mm-hmm. point. I have a 40, like I think the, I think the Contiki's 44. Yeah, and I don't wear it because of it. Yeah, um, but I love the aesthetic. I mean, shrink it a bit. Give us one at 38, 39. I mean, as long as you, they should be able to conceivably make anything. Yeah. Um, but I think these are cool. I think I think pretty much anything they touch, if they want to, is cool. They make some really cool dress watches. And obviously, if you're if you're moon phase kind of acolyte, Longines is on your ra- radar for that, especially for their price point. Right. The master collection and that sort of stuff. I, I think they it's it's a fascinating brand. It's one of those ones where they're big enough that they have to also kind of like Tag Heuer, where they have to do stuff for enthusiasts that have these weird specific tastes about the size and this and then that, and then they have to do stuff that sits in store shelves, yeah, and and sell to people who just want a really nicely made watch that has a brand that they recognize that all that kind of suits all of those things. But man, I I think that when they do the Spirit Diver. The, they're going to have the option there to do something in sort of a skin divery like an SPB 143, but it'll have a their option. You Theoretically, you could go to a pretty high-end movement from ETA in there, uh, like from the Swatch group. Uh, I think that'll be really exciting. I think the flyback is awesome. Uh, like the chronograph yeah. is really, really cool. 
Um, yeah, I, th I think these are cool. I really hope that they stick with this line and in some ways it, it's there. And I don't want to be too like, oh, they're chasing Tudor like everybody is to a certain extent. But this feels like they're Black Bay mm -hmm. in that it has some of their brand identity in it, but it's also kind of following the enthusiast kind of taste point at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just hope they keep iterating in this space. I think, you know, that, that blue GMT and uh, the blue chronograph, they both look, they all, they all look really good. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go with it and what kind of special stuff they're able to make. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to one from Matt Kessler-Cleary, who uh, wants us to talk a little bit about Alpina's um, Alpiner Extreme, particularly the regular three-hand version. Um, I don't know what to, you know, there's, a, there's another brand we don't really talk about a lot. Um, and, and in many ways, I almost kind of see them in the same light as I do Christopher Ward. They're handsome watches. They seem to be really well made. Um, but I, I just, yep. I'm not really drawn to them, uh, kind of, uh, overall. Yeah. For me, like it, it it's like a, into the, like Maurice Lacroix, I guess, Christopher Ward, like where it, they, they have watches that I feel like they're known for, but with Alpina, I'm not sure that they do. I like I think they're still trying to find that that basis. Yeah. And with something like this, the one thing is I would say like I don't want to be unfair, maybe it's 50% a joke or 90% joke, but like what's extreme about this watch? <laughs> you know, it's a it's a steel watch with 200 meters of water resistance. I, again, this is one where I think if it didn't say Alpina on the dial or didn't have the sort of counter the tri the red triangle counterbalance on the second's hand, it could come from 20 other brands. Yeah, it is an integrated bracelet steel sports watch, you know, 41 millimeters. It's 11 millimeter, 11 and a half millimeters thick. So it should wear really well. 42.5 millimeters lug to lug. It actually might wear very well. Mm -hmm. I like the look of the bracelet. I really like the look of the dial. Um, I think this is the kind of stuff they're going to have to keep making, but they're also going to have to find a way to like speak with people who would actually buy it. Uh, Jason, I assume you can see the USD pricing there. I can. It's uh, 2,195. Yeah, so at twenty one ninety five, you you've got to convince people that it's significant, that it's that much better than a Seiko Prospects, mm -hmm. right? And I think that can that can be an uphill battle. Seiko doesn't make a watch that looks directly like this. As a watch, it's a great watch, but the the world's kind of full of pretty solid good watches at every price point. And I think the competition is just very hard for brands like this. Yeah, yeah. That said, I mean, aside, I, like I said, I don't totally get the extreme name. I, it's a, it looks like a very wearable. You know, I feel like you, you put extreme on a watch that's 47 millimeters and, and does something else or, or is tougher or is made out of some other material. This feels like it should be their kind of core product. And, and yeah. I think may, maybe there's some positioning there that, that doesn't read the same way. But I, I think it's a, a nice looking watch, uh, most likely well made. That's my experience with the Alpina stuff. And I, I hope that uh, they're able to kind of garner more success as they continue to make kind of nice looking reasonably priced watches yeah it brings to mind you know looking at this um and having just talked about the christopher ward with the integrated uh, bracelet um we, we could almost do a whole episode on integrated bracelet steel sports watches um once we come up with an acronym that absolutely won't take up half the show to, to say the name every time um but you know it makes me think like how how far away are we from rolex reintroducing something like the well probably not the oyster quartz but you know, they made an automatic, I think, was it the reference 1530 or something? I can't remember. But, you know, do, do you think we'll see one from Rolex uh, anytime soon? They, you'd think they would. I, they're not real bandwagon jumpers, but I can't help but think 
they're not looking at the trend and thinking we have something like this in our back catalog. Man, that's tough with Rolex. I could see them doing <laughs> something in the vein of like an oyster quartz. Yeah. But not quartz. Yeah, yeah. Because that had sort of the the flat front flank and lug. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. It's 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 like I find it even up to this year. I find it like impossible to really say what Rolex is going to do. Like, look at the bubble watch and the emoji thing and <laughs> forty two right. millimeter titanium yacht master. Like, they just do whatever they want. And I think if it's if it's the obvious move, they're not going to do it, or they're going to do it in platinum with a you know an ice dial or and then they'll make you wait three or four more years for the for the one yeah. right so yeah. tough yeah. to say with rolex for sure but look i think alpina like i said interesting brand and i think these are uh, solid looking watches probably something worth checking out in person mm-hmm. um, especially after i had that like recent foray with uh, formex oh right uh, which i rather i was surprised by how much i liked it it, it wore really well and and had a bunch of kind of like thoughtful design elements and technology and that sort of thing so Thanks for the heads up on that, Matt. Uh, appreciate it very much. And those are probably something worth taking a, a closer look at. Next up, we've got one from Adam Peterson, who suggested slow watches. Never heard of them. I've only heard of them once. Uh, maybe even it was through the TGN Slack, or maybe I got an ad on Instagram for them. But it's essentially a single-hand 24-hour watch. They're quartz. They're $300. They come in a bunch of different versions. But I would say like super modern um, as, as far as the thing goes. That, you know, kind of has... Um, a little bit, I'm not sure how to say this, like it has a little bit of like the, the Kickstarter aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Do you know, does that make sense if I say it? Like the the case and, and, and that yes. sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. They're, they're nice looking watches. I like the idea. Like intellectually, I like the idea. On my own wrist, yeah. I, I want minutes and seconds. Yeah. You know, on some watches I can deal with not having seconds, but I definitely like having having the minutes and that sort of thing. But maybe as a weekend watch, or or otherwise, or or as something you wear like intentionally to disconnect. Cool, I like it. Cool design, nice idea. There's a lot in there. So if that if that sounds interesting to you, it looks like they're about eh, two hundred fifty to three hundred bucks. And I could see these being a lot of fun. Like I said, for a weekend watch, or for someone who wants to wear a watch, but the like otherwise they sit at a computer, like where it's more of a fashion option. Right. Because this would be sort of a an aesthetic conversation starter it's it's a big dial with one hand the you know the 24-hour numerals are way out on the outside it'd be funny to to wear one of these for a a, a week or something and see how much it just kind of messed with my ability to <laughs> to tell, tell the time or because you can't glance at it or at least i wouldn't be able to yeah i mean it has a bit of the meister singer vibe to it mm-hmm. um and i i agree with you i 100 i think it's it definitely looks like an aesthetic statement piece more than what i like about watches which is the whole mechanical interaction of the seconds and the minutes and the hours especially when it comes to a mechanical watch where you're kind of watching it all work together in concert and i think this one is more it's it's like a static it's more of a static product it's more like you know you're just kind of into it for the for, for the vibe or kind of what it says about you yeah. or, or your philosophy. So, yeah, which is fine. also fine. I don't, I'm not, a, yeah. that, that's yeah. largely how I treat vintage watches are like as fashion watches. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. it's about that vibe. Right. Right. For sure. Right. Uh, let's see if we can buzz through a few of these a little bit quicker. Cause I'd like to see how many, if we can get to everything on the list. Um, yeah. Next up, we've got one from beer. Nye. He's interested in us talking about like nineties and 2000 Seamasters that aren't the two, two, five, four ones that we're interested in. And, and to be honest, like, I guess maybe not just Seamasters or not, um, 
three-hand plus date Seamasters, but we've talked a ton about the GMTs of the same era. Yeah. Uh, you the great white and the, the black version. You obviously, we, we had a, a whole discussion about the regatta from that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, the apnea, I guess. Uh, yeah. Sorry, to be to be more accurate. Uh, I love a lot of these. We've talked about the mid-sized versions of like the, the Bond ones as, as being an interesting value if you wanted a smaller watch. Uh, and any other ones kind of stand out for you? Well, it's it's not much of a variation from those, but the the quartz um, Seamasters, the quartz Bond ones. Um, yeah. Especially the ones with that had tritium dials. Like I look oh, really sure. hard at those because I think as the aluminum bezels fade um, and, and the tritium starts to turn a little gold, mm-hmm. like th- those watches are like like back in the day I wouldn't have given them a second thought, but now like throw that watch on a NATO strap, that would just be the ultimate sort of um, go anywhere, do anything watch with with a little bit of kind of the the fun you know wink wink sort of Bond insider stuff uh, to it. I think I think those would be my kind of sentimental favorites uh, other than the 2254 from that era. Yeah, cool. Good question on that one, Beer and I. I it, it's something that we could probably dedicate an entire episode to. It's definitely been a, a topic in the past where I, I link pretty closely with the 2254, but there's a lot of gems yeah. uh, from that era. Next up, we've got one from Brendan Walsh who said, would love to hear your thoughts about the Tudor P01 and whether it has a real future in Tudor's lineup. I think we're pretty quick on this one. Like, I, I think if you had asked me the year that the Tudor P01 came out, you know, would this watch be around in 2023? I'd said, man, I don't think it's going to be around in 12 months. <laughs> it's a really cool, super hyper, hyper niche yeah. take on on a Tudor at a time when they were nailing a really good watch that appealed to generalist buyers and enthusiasts, the Black Bays, right? Yeah. I, I think the PO1's very cool, and I, but I was surprised when I went to the factory recently to see them making more. So it must be popular. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen, I don't see them on Instagram, like in, in my world of in the very yeah. little I use Instagram. I don't think I've seen any on Slack and I don't, I've don't, I haven't come across them in, in real life either. So I, I it, it's a super specific, hyper fun, it kind of in the same vein as like an FXD in that it, it does, it has a very specific outlook on what that watch mm-hmm. should be. I'm very, you know, happy that they made it. I didn't, you know, people got upset back in the day when it came out, as they often do. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I was. I'm surprised they still make and offer them now. Um, not that it's bad in any way, just that it's such such a specific watch. Yeah, it was a real head scratcher when when they first debuted at, at Basel World. But yet they were fascinating, and I remember getting that you know few minutes to to try it on and look at it. And then just a month or so ago, uh, I got to handle one for a little longer, um, at a dealer here, um, a, a pre-owned one. And I really quite like it. It's, it's a watch I could see really having fun with because it kind of fits into what, what I like about watches and that's just stuff to play with. And that, that interesting sort of bezel lock and, and just kind of the, the weird strap fitment. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they're cool. I mean, I don't know how, how long they'll last or if there's a, a quote unquote future in, in Tudor's lineup for it, but to, to my mind, if it even if it doesn't have a future, um, it'll be one of those kind of cult classics for a long time. Yeah, at this point, it's been around for a few years, so there's yeah. there's a few of them out there. Yeah, be be interesting to see if the FXD stays as a as a production model, especially mm. with them numbering them by the year. Yeah, as long as the PO one's been around, right? Right. Next up, we've got one from Ken Heinlein. Sorry, Ken, if that's not how I pronounce your last name, but uh, he's asking questions about watches that haven't left our imagination from the last couple of years. Do you still think about the FXD or the Pro, those both being Tudors? What are your thoughts of some of the Oris things, like the 36-millimeter full steel or the Carbon Doxa? So I'll jump in quick. Like The Carbon Doxa uh, came up a few times in questions, and I 
feel like I talked about it a ton on the show, but maybe not like in the continuum. I would still absolutely love to buy one. Um, right now, it's between a shark hunter and a white pearl. Mm, yeah. And it's a question of I, it would have to be the same move that I made with the Pelagos where I would sell several watches to buy it. But I would still very much like to have one. Uh, right now, the Pelagos is really scratching most dive watch itches, but it doesn't do the carbon thing. Yeah. And every time I see a carbon, there's a couple guys on the TGN Slack that have one. Every time I see one come up, I want it. <laughs> the best I can tell you is I've narrowed it down to a shark hunter or the white pearl. And I can't decide which one I kind of like because I think the shark hunter is a better looking version, a little bit more doxa. Yeah. But the white pearl in my mind is way cooler. It's just weirder with the loom dial and the white on the carbon. Like if I'm going to go carbon, like why not just go all the way? I don't need a conventional looking watch. I have so many of those. Right. So I'm probably leaning white pearl. And uh, if I could make one happen, it would be a question of selling a handful more watches. Just went through that process with the Pelagos. So these days I'm still very much like in the honeymoon phase of the Pelagos. But the uh, the carbon docks is always right there in the wings. Yeah. Chris McRiddle was wearing his uh, his carbon shark hunter in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago. And I got to handle it. And man, it's just it's such a bewitching watch. I, I really do love that one. And and for me, it would be the shark hunter all the way. It's just uh, it's yeah. such a such a cool stealthy piece that it just it just looks tough it's uh it's really neat yeah. piece. what about these others what do, do you do did you like the fxd would you could you see yourself well i shouldn't even say could you see yourself getting one because you you have kind of your ideal pelagos already but uh yeah i, I absolutely adore the fxd i think it's one of the coolest watches modern tudor has produced but it's also just a bit too big for me mm, yeah. um same thing that kept me from buying a standard pelagos to kept me from uh, an fxd and if i could if i could fit an fxd i'd buy a, i would have bought a blue pelagos yeah um, but the FXD is one of the coolest. It's a watch that I now like very much um, attribute or mentally link with Asha Wagner, which I like quite a bit. You know, she just has hers on a, a bevy of cool straps, and 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 they're they're really rad watches with a really cool like legitimate backstory. Um, and then as far as the pro goes, I don't think I do think about the pro very much. I think it's really solid product. I, I think that it's a watch that they should make, and they should make more GMTs. But as an owner of a 16570, it's not a, a watch that was going to be on my buy list unless I was selling the Rolex, which mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Which is a, a kind of maybe a flippant answer, but it's that easy for me. Like a, that watch, you know, heavily references a 1655, which is then, you know, kind of the lineage of, of uh, the Rolex I already have. So they would be very much redundant. And in my mind, while the Pro is a little bit smaller, ever so slightly, maybe less than a millimeter smaller uh, in width. Uh, my Explorer 2 is considerably thinner and sits a little lighter on the wrist. So I, I think the Pro is great product, uh, but not something that, that was going to be something I'm, I was going to shell out for. I was really waiting for something like the Pelagos 39 or a theoretical Pelagos GMT. Yeah, yeah. And then with the with the Oris, uh, I think it's a really fun, really special watch. But it wasn't something I was going to buy either. Um, <laughs> I I, re- I enjoyed having it for a little while and kicking around with it, but it, it wasn't going to be, uh, yeah, something that I was going to to need in in my collection of of, uh, of sort of travel watches at this point. Yeah. How about you, Jason? Any of these been on your mind more or less since they came out? Um, every time I see the FXD, I it piques my curiosity. I wouldn't mind yeah. spending a little time with one and and. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess of funny, you know, having owned a, a first generation Pelagos and, and handled several over the years, the, the FXD is the one Pelagos, I think that, that if I were to be plunking down my own money, I think that would be the one, I don't know. It's, it's just, it just has that quirky element to it. And I like, yep. 
I like fixed bar watches. I mean, I wear a, a lot of NATO straps anyway, as do you. And so I think that that one would, would kind of scratch a cool itch and just be just a, a fun, fun, kind of very quirky kind of take on, on what Tudor does so well. Totally. I could definitely see you um, yeah. getting one of these in a trade or something in yeah. the future. Yeah. 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 Fun question, Ken. Thank you very much for that. Uh, next up, we've got one from Headers, H-E-D-D-E-R-S, uh, asking about Damasco watches and whether or not uh, they sort of live in Zinn's shadow. Uh, this could definitely be a whole a whole topic. Uh, I was around when Damasco was kind of like an early forum darling and then started to push towards their own movement. Uh, it was a brand that I consistently spoke with our, our buddy Paul Hubbard, who's on, on the Slack and probably has a couple, at least one Damasco would be my guess. Maybe maybe not at this point. I don't know. But yeah, a very interesting brand that, that for whatever reason, uh, yeah, has, hasn't quite broken wider than these sort of specific circles that, that, are, that they operate within. Have you ever had a Damasco, Jason? Never have. I, I think I've only seen one in person once and, and I forget about them. I mean, I, I just don't see them on Instagram or on Slack or, or anywhere. And, um, they have such an amazing reputation and, and they are spoken of, um, in the same breath as, as Zinn every time. I mean, anytime someone brings up Damasco, so I, I don't, I don't have an answer for why they aren't, uh, more popular. I really don't. Is it yeah, the price? It's a head scratcher. At- it could be something, no, the price makes sense to me. I, you know, I don't want to be unfair um, because I'm, I'm, so let me be clear. I'm making up what I'm about to say, but sometimes when you see a brand and the product's incredible, the distribution isn't mm, yeah. like, think about the struggles that Zinn has had selling in North America. They, they have a partner now with watch buys, but that's the only way. So you can't go to a store and see them. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's tough, especially like if you're priced against entry level tag and Seiko and citizen and, yeah. and, and that sort of thing and not, not have the ability to show the watch necessarily on the wrist. So now with Damasco, you can see them in person depending on where you are. The one spot that I know of, and I know I've met these guys on on a Leica trip in the past, is Camera West. Huh. Really good guys, obviously mega camera nerds and huge watch nerds. But among, I think they have Fortis, they have Damasco, they have a handful of interesting brands. And I think I think these are ones that it's probably worth seeing in person. But the pricing makes sense to me. The product has an incredible reputation. And they didn't kind of fizzle out like uh, Cobalt. Oh, yeah. Um, I think in some ways, Cobalt kind of shared a similar time. Maybe Cobalt was a few years earlier. And the oral history of Time Zone and Watch You Seek will, <laughs> will sort some of these out in the future. But yeah, I, th- I think these are great watches. Uh, like, like Jason said, no one ever says a bad thing about a Damasco. So it's probably just a question of that final leap of having retail environments where people can see the watch and try them on yeah. because otherwise the rest you're speaking just to enthusiasts, right? People on the forums who have, have garnered a comfort zone to buy something they haven't seen yet. All right. Uh, our next one comes from Justin P who um, is asking about this uh, peculiar sort of Certina. Uh, they call it um, the DS plus multiply your style. Um, and I wasn't familiar with this. Uh, James, do you know the kind of the concept of this? Uh, only from looking into it. So basically <laughs> the, the, the case is outwardly modular. Huh. So basically, I think you buy a, a mo- you, you're getting a module that can slide into a number of different cases, different bracelets. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that it's a neat idea, and I guess the idea is you could swap it at home so that you kind of move the movement and the dial and that sort of thing into another hmm. into another case. I, I think it's a offering a solution for a problem that very few people have. <laughs> Um, I could see this, you know, making the watch theoretically stickier to a buyer, mm-hmm. but in my mind, and, and I'm happy to have this conversation, you know, play out on Slack or whatever. In my mind, this isn't going to be more sticky than simply designing a watch that someone really wants. 
yeah. as it is. Yeah. I think if this was something that the watch world was begging for, this sort of idea that you have a capsule with the crystal, the dial, the hands, the movement, the rest of it, and then options for multiple different cases. It's kind of like a collection that's one watch. Mm-hmm. And it comes in this little box where you have straps and bracelets and different cases and you can swap them out and, and make different watches all from one. Yeah. I, I think that this could appeal to some people, but that it doesn't offer as broad an appeal as maybe they were hoping. And looking at the various combinations, I think that the concept is cool, but none of these hit me as a wa- as one watch that I would really want. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the I guess it's their Aqua kit. Um, and it's it's basically just two cases and then a strap and, and a bracelet option. And, you know, with, with sort of the traditional sort of dive look with the bezel, you know, fine, decent watch, but I'd, I'd just as soon take one of their kind of standard DS yeah, PH two hundreds or something like that. Um, and then they have, or the action diver. Yeah. The other configuration they have is, it looks like it's probably a fixed bezel, just kind of a steel bezel. And that, that kind of doesn't do it for me either. So yeah, I'm not sure. Like you said, I think I'd rather just go for a watch that they, they design nicely from the ground up and just kind of make that my own rather than want to be swapping stuff around like this. Yeah. In, in my mind, you look at someone like the action diver or the DSPH stuff and that, that has that like enthusiast concept to it. Yeah. This feels like something meant for a more mass market, like may, maybe to get somebody out of a smartwatch. Yeah. Doesn't the, the concept doesn't necessarily speak to me. You know, a lot of brands have tried this sort of modular thing where you could swap out the case, I would be interested in a brand that really nails the ability to swap the bezel. Mm, yeah. You know, the Formex, you can pop the bezel off and, and pick a different one, but they're all dive bezels. Like Formex, right. come on, make make a 12-hour bezel. Yeah. Make a, you know, a count-up uh, count bezel. Like, give me a few different options. Do a world-time bezel, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's that's the kind of world that, that I'm in. I, I like that kind of option. But th- this is uh, this feels like complexity um, or like, yeah, like a solution to a, a pretty specific problem yeah next up we've got a suggestion from matt m about the grand seiko sbge285 mist flake i assume Mm. that's the the forum title for these it's a titanium spring drive gmt pretty handsome piece most grand seikos are i mean it's grand seiko it's it's, they're just gorgeous yeah look at this thing it's it's absolutely fantastic it's in their high intensity titanium it's a 41 millimeter watch it's not quite 14 thick it's 48 mill lug to lug so it'll wear uh, that would put it pretty close to like kind of a thick 2254 mm-hmm. yeah right yeah 41 and 48 3 uh 22 millimeter lugs but it comes on the bracelet let's see it's a 9 r66 so yeah it's a spring drive with 72 hours of power reserve it's good to 15 seconds a month i mean I, aside from it being more than i've ever spent on a watch by a multiple of two it's lovely yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, Grand Seiko's do a great job. Um, their sports watches don't speak to me. Mm-hmm. They give I get a little bit of like the Nomos vibe from them, mm-hmm. where I'm not sure how I'd pick one versus the other. They're uh, you know a price segment above most of the Nomos stuff, but the Evo Nine stuff is beautiful. I've seen some of it in person, and then the GMT and the Titanium. There's there's a lot to really really like here, but I think if I was buying a Grand Seiko, I'd be buying one of the 37 millimeter three handers, um, an SBGW. Uh, you know, if I could ever afford the 252 in yellow gold, like the classic kind of remake of the 3180, um, all of that kind of stuff would be really kind of more my zone. And, and I like Grand Seiko as kind of a maker of like a, a classy, subtle sort of dressy watch. 
But for the Grand Seiko nerds, my guess is this is right in the flagship zone. It does everything. It's got the titanium. The dial is incredible. Mm-hmm. Something about the the Grand Seiko sports watches, I'm I'm almost drawn to several of them, uh, particularly the GMTs, because I feel like they're they're useful. They're they they seem quite robust. You know, most of them I think are totally. at least you know 200 meter water resistant. Um, great travel piece. The accuracy is there. The dials are interesting. But there's always just like one or two little things that I kind of squint at and think, eh, it's not quite there. I think like looking at this one, it's it's like this robust kind of sports watch. And then the dial furniture, particularly the hands, I, I, I want like a different style hand on it. Um, you know, these look like kind of very precision. A little clinical. Yeah, kind of clinical. I almost want more of a playful, like more of a swords or something like that i don't know i don't know why that comes to mind but yeah i'd like to spend more time with with grand seiko i you know i own one i own an older uh, gmt that i bought in tokyo years ago and i very seldom wear it but i would love to try one of their sports watches especially in a spring drive and like wear it for a a reasonable amount of time because i think it's the kind of watch that you know you, you can really become attached to um yeah. Just because they do so much right. I, I also believe this is the sort of watch where I bet you if I put it on my wrist for a day, yeah, I'd be singing its praises. Yeah. So I think at 8500 bucks, they have a lot of competition, but also this is a brand that has proven itself. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of money for any watch in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, like I said, more, more than I've spent on a watch, but goodness sakes, if you were in the zone for a Grand Seiko, this one would have to be on the list, right? Uh, yeah. For a sporty Grand Seiko. Yeah. They, they make a great watch. Um, do you find the, the um, we're stretching this one to be a nice long episode, I guess. Do you find the spring drive a plus or a minus? Like, would you prefer this just to be a, a 9S? Mm, I, you know, I think with Grand Seiko, I like the, I, I love their dedication to it. I love the precision of it. Um, same thing with their quartz watches. It, it, it wouldn't bother me a bit. I almost wouldn't want mm-hmm. this watch in an automatic because spring drive is such a calling card for them and it's so impressive it's and it's just lasted it's 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 proven its worth and its longevity and uh it's kind of it, you know along with their great dial work i think it, it really is what you know grand seiko is all about yeah i think there's a long time where i thought like uh, why spring drive like why not just have an automatic or a quartz it yeah. feels like we're making the most expensive of the two yeah um, and then the other thing that used to bug me, and for some reason I can't explain why I've come around on it, is that little power reserve indicator. Mm, mm-hmm. I always wondered why they couldn't put it <laughs> in a more balanced position. <laughs> yeah. Or even have it, you know, operate on a linear progression from the center line of the dial. Yeah. But now I kind of like it. Yeah. I'm not really sure why. It, it, it has some weirdness to it. You know, it, it, it looks kind of cool on their chronograph as well, where the subdials are. Like, it's unconventional. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works for me. So yeah. thank you very much for the heads up on the SBGE285, Matt. This is cool. A, a good one. And yeah, maybe we should start to kind of follow a little bit more closely. For me, I guess at some point we, you know, maybe with the exception of Rolex, like we, we typically stick to stuff under five grand. Right. Unless there's a specific reason not to. But this is probably pretty pretty top tier watch under 10 grand. Yeah. Right? As think. far as uh, options and, and fit and finish goes. So. Uh, next up, we've got one from David Emerson, who says, how about the oft-overlooked Forstner A12? Yeah, I like this. I mean, I owned a, an Accutron Astronaut, which is, this is obviously an homage to that. Um, I think mm-hmm. Forstner did a nice job with it. I think they've updated the size. It's a little bigger than than the Astronaut was, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's a pretty faithful representation of it. I, I think the um, having owned the Astronaut and, and worn it for a bit, 
I, I couldn't get around the just kind of the pure round case with almost like a right hidden crown. It's just it's a little bit too minimalist, a little too round. But look, if 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 you like the general vibe of of the Accutron astronaut and it's got such a great history to it um, on the wrists of A12 SR71 pilots and um, yeah, you know whatever. I mean, this is just a it's a neat watch. And Forstner does a great job with the bands. Totally. I've had a few over the years and I think I'm sure they did a great job with the watch too. Uh, I think, I think it's a solid one. I was, you know, aware of it when it came out. The thing I would say, especially about the oft overlooked kind of comment is I'm not sure that Forstner or especially their watches are overlooked as much as it's really t- tough to prove yourself in the enthusiast space with an homage. Yeah. Um, you, you know, this is a watch that Accutron stopped making. So the market of people who even know what it is shrinks every year. Yeah. So you're making a very specific watch for a very specific set of buyers, and I don't think that it would ever be, you know, a, a watch with like a mass, a huge mass market success. It's also probably not the goal when you remake a watch like this. It's just mm-hmm. to make something that's kind of faithful and fun and and captures the vibe of what was a unique watch at the time. Yeah. And I think within that zone, Forstner's done a lovely job. And like Jason said, I've I've not come across anything that they've made that isn't made to a very nice standard for the price point. So. Uh, certainly if you're in the vibe for, uh, yeah, one of these, the, the Accutron SR71 pilot watches, those, uh, those can be a little bit tough to find, especially in good Nick. And this way you could, you could have the very similar vibe in a 39 millimeter sizing. Uh, yeah, I think they're cool. They look good. Swiss, Swiss move, uh, Swiss quartz movement. What's the, what's the complaint about for 475? Definitely uh, not a watch you're going to see on somebody else's wrist as you kick around. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's move on to another Pilot's watch, a different sort. Mm-hmm. Um, question from uh, Piotr um, SZ. Uh, apologies if I mispronounced your name. Um, who is asking our opinions about the IWC Pilot Chrono? I mean, long-standing, great sure. kind of icon. Um, I used to have one, loved it. Um, Which one did you have? Like a thirty-seven seventeen. Yes, that that's the one. Yeah, Love black that dial watch. with the single date window. Yeah. 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 Cool. Such Those a are cool great. Piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm a, and I'm also a big fan of the ones with the doppel, you know, like the, the mm-hmm. pre Habring or the Habring pre Habring as a brand sort of watches. Those things are crazy cool. And at least a few years ago, they weren't like an insane amount of money for what you get. Yeah. I would say as a modern, as a modern option today, I reviewed not that long ago, I guess it was maybe it was before the pandemic. It must've been before the pandemic, the new Spitfire in 41 mil. Mm, mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It wears a little big for 41. It wears, like it's a pilot's watch, so it's all dial. It's a little thick uh, being a, you know, a, a IWC movement. But I think that the aesthetic is incredible. Um, it's always just comes down to sizing and strap with these watches. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they do, in my, for me, on my wrist, they do a lot better not on the supplied kind of chunky pilot style leather. Mm-hmm. Put them on something else, something a little thinner, a little lighter, and they they suck into the wrist a little bit better and and, and fit nicely. But I, I'm a big fan. Uh, certainly, it's it always just comes down to size with IWCs. Yeah. Next up, we've got one from John in JC who says the new Rolex two two four two seventy Explorer. I uh, just picked it up this week, and I think it's a sleeper, or at least being dismissed far too easily by commenters as a boring resize to fill a hole in the market. Uh, it's a fantastic watch, and I couldn't imagine preferring one of the smaller Explorer models. Yeah, John, I mean, we, we, we spoke about this watch when it came out, right? And, and in my mind, uh, I'm on the opposite side of that fence. I think the 36 is perfect, and that the 39 was fine, and then I guess they stopped making it, and people wanted it back, so they made a 40. Uh, <laughs> Jason, do you, do you have any strong feelings one way or another? I think it, it's fine. Like, Rolex should offer more options and make more watches. Hopefully that means there's more in the market. 
certainly doesn't not make sense at 40. I just prefer the 36. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think 40 is a perfectly fine size for a watch and a lot totally. of people like that size. But, you know, even I, who who has a, a big wrist and doesn't mind big watches, I've got a 36 millimeter older Explorer and I, I think it just wears really well. So, yeah, my preference is for, especially on a, on a field watch or kind of pilot-y kind of watch like this, when it's kind of minimalist and it's, you know, there's no date and it's just some numerals and markers, I feel like, you know, it works better on, on almost kind of a smaller dial aesthetically. It just sort of pulls everything in a little bit. But look, it's a handsome watch. It's a, certainly a robust watch, well-proven. So, John, if you love it, it's a good thing they made it in 40. I think that exactly. this is clear yeah. evidence that not everything that, you know, the the way that we all prefer a watch in one spec but not another, there's a reason that, you know, we there's more skews out there, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled to hear that you like it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, let's wrap this up with the last one from Kyle C. in D.C. Whatever happened to James's SPB 143? <laughs> it's in the watch box. <laughs> I wear it maybe once or twice a month, maybe a little bit less than that. I've considered selling it. I like it a lot, uh, but I have a lot of dive watches, and, and oftentimes I would either lean towards the Pelagos or the Doxa, depending on, and it's kind of ins- weirdly, it kind of sits in the middle of those and that it's a vintage effect, but it's kind of the same color range as the, do- as the uh, Tudor. Um, but then I put it on and I go, nah, I like this too much. And, and you know, they, they only hold their value so well. So it's not like there's a huge upside. I enjoy the watch. I think it's great. I'll definitely get some use out of it. Dock jumping this summer, the loom is better on, on that than on the uh, Pelagos in many ways. Uh, so yeah, I, I love the watch. It's still a great one. And uh, if you're on the fence, there's only more versions uh, available, new and in secondhand than there were when I wrote all those stories a few years back. So a solid one for sure. And I, I think this was successful. This was fun. We got to talk about a bunch of stuff that we don't uh, normally do. It's a little bit of a long episode. We're coming up on a hard out in a few minutes for me, but thank you so much for everybody who put theirs in. If we didn't get to yours, my apologies. I've saved a bunch of them for future like larger show topics or that sort of thing, but maybe we'll do another one of these in the future. So be sure to uh, keep an eye on the Slack. And if you want to get into that conversation, of course, uh, you can do so by subscribing at uh, our Substack. stack. Uh, thegraynado.com has more details. Jason, you want to jump into some final notes? Sure, yeah. Um, mine this week comes from uh, a suggestion via a listener uh, named Christopher who sent a link over to BBC Sounds. There's a kind of some book excerpts uh, from the, the British watchmaker Rebe- Rebecca Struthers. Um, and I, I was kind of vaguely aware that, that she had written a book because uh, there was the potential that she was going to be in Glasgow introducing her book when I was over there, but it, the timing didn't work out. But uh, I've been very keen to, to read her book. And so it was kind of fun to, to hear some excerpts of it read on BBC Sounds. That's their kind of app where you can get podcasts and radio shows and things. Um, and it's called Hands of Time. And there, it's about five uh, excerpts of about 15 minutes each, uh, covering different kind of eras in timekeeping going way, way back, uh, right up until the 20th century. Um, and actually even into the 21st century and kind of some of Rebecca's take on uh, her own background in, in watchmaking and how she came to it and kind of some of her philosophies around, uh, timekeeping. So, um, wow. really a, a nice listen, pretty short, you know, kind of, uh, like I said, five episodes of 15 minutes each. So you can listen to it on a walk or on a commute or something like that. So, um, yeah, check it out. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Christopher for sending over that link, man. That sounds really, really good. Yeah. I definitely want to check that out. That might be something to listen to on, uh, on the drive up for the cottage. We've been working our way through what was the, the Lionel crab. Oh yeah. Ministry of secrets. 
Yeah. Ministry, thank you. Sorry, Ministry of Secrets. We were working our way through that, um, which yeah. is really nice. And even my, my oldest daughter was starting to listen to it a little bit as we were driving and ask some questions. <laughs> it's really great. I've, I've been enjoying that. So I'll add this to the list as well. Maybe we can uh, stream it on the drive up this Saturday. Yeah. Uh, what have you got this week? So yeah, mine this week is actually just a reminder now that I've actually got it in hand. We talked about it when it first launched, I think. Uh, it's got to be 10 plus episodes, uh, which is Robert Spangle's book, Afghan Style. Mm -hmm. uh, mine arrived yesterday. I flipped through it a little bit today, and uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So if you're looking for a new coffee table book with a bunch of images like nothing I've seen before, um, it's beautiful. The colors are incredible. Robert's eye is impeccable. It's really nicely laid out. Um, just a, a really beautiful presentation and one that I'm, I'm like super thrilled to finally have in hand. So uh, I would say it's just a, a simple reminder, as we talked about it when the book was first kind of announced, when pre-orders first went up. But it's probably available at your local bookstore or at least available on order. Or you can, of course, uh, hit the show notes for a link to buy it directly from Robert. And that's his uh, his book, Afghan Style. I'm, it's one of my things I plan to maybe even haul it up to the cottage and sit on a dock and flip through it uh, this weekend. Yeah, I, I got mine last week as well. And it's a thing of beauty. I mean, not, not only the photos, but the, the entire construction of the book. Yeah, the whole presentation. You can tell uh, some real thought and time was put into that. So congrats to uh, to Robert on that. All right. Well, that wraps up a pretty long but fun episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. And as always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynato.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the Free Music Archive. And we leave you with this quote from Francis Bacon, who said, A prudent question is one half of wisdom.